Hi, and welcome to the Ability Bridge podcast. We help teachers and parents find the support and resources they need to guide students with diverse needs towards success. We do that by offering on-demand, best-in-class training and community for parents and educators and professionals, because everybody wins when the relationship around the child is thriving. Every month, we're going to be releasing a new podcast episode discussing ways that we can help these relationships thrive and the things we can all do as the team around the child or young person to see a huge difference in the impact of our collective efforts. I'm Ian Richardson, and I'm dad to two children with diverse needs, and I do my best to advocate for families and seek out ways to help the relationships between home and school be the healthiest and strongest they can be. I'm joined today and will be every month by Lynn McCann, my friend and my co-host of the Ability Bridge podcast. Lynn worked as a primary school teacher for many years and set up an outreach service at the specialist school and realized that there was a great need for good practical autism support and training in mainstream schools, from which Reach Out ASC has grown to become a much sought after team for training, advice and support for autistic children and young people. Lynn, it's so good to see you. How are you today? Hi, Ian. I'm all right. I'm a bit hot. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Silly, crazy weather in England. Yeah, yeah. You you haven't said that you're in Canada and I'm in England, have you? I know. We're uh, across the pond. I've I've got an ice pack to put my hands on and I brought my book along to talk about and then I thought, oh, it makes a good fan. (laughs) So, yeah. <laughs> it makes a great fan. <laughs> I think we'll oh, be all right, gosh. yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you don't melt too much no, um, right. while we're here. Um, yeah, in Canada, here where we are, where uh, it's it's hot, but um, we have where we are, we have air conditioning, which we've never, which, which you know, not have in England. <laughs> we only it's need it two days a year, don't we? So. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no point, really. <laughs> Oh, Lynn, today uh, we're talking about um, sensory diets and social stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great. We're just getting started. Obviously, this is our first episode, first go at this. But um, we are gearing up for some some exciting workshops coming in October. And I just my first thing, we're going to jump straight in because we want to be really mm-hmm. respectful of people's time. But what um, what's the difference between sensory diets and social stories? Because I definitely don't know. Yeah, the both um, approaches that are often put into education, health and care plans or individual education plans, depending where you are in the world, um, to help autistic children. And, you know, we get lots of questions. Well, this is written down. What do we do about it? So very simply, a sensory diet is a um, individual program um, of sensory activities and accommodations that you might make around the child. And they're just created to help a child or um, stay calm and alert um, or focused and organized throughout the day. So they're scheduled and they're regular and they just give that child those anchor points throughout the day. Um, And some children get overwhelmed by sensory um, experiences, so they need calming or what we call low arousal activities. And some children feel lethargic and sluggish and, and so they need physical and movement activities. So it's all very, very individual, very effective. Really powerful when it's done right. Oh, yeah. But you get you get quite annoyed, don't you, when about bad social stories? No, well, why? Go on to social <laughs> stories first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, that yeah. Tell us about diet. that. That's that's that sensory diet. Yeah, okay. That's sensory so what's diet. the so social stories? 
Yeah, but you've shown exactly help. what the confusion can be, isn't it? Because they actually, yeah. when you just say them quickly, they sound quite similar. So sensory is all about our interactions with the world and our regulation inside our body. A social story <laughs> is about our, our interactions with people and the world around us in that way. So social stories are a written or a recorded explanation, um, usually with visuals, and it follows a set format and structure. And what it is, is a, a, a document or a, a thing, a video or whatever, that the child can learn something from in a really positive way about the social world around them. And it might be like, I'm going somewhere new and this is what it's going to be like. Or it could be, um, those people are a bit confusing, explaining what's going on, or even giving them advocacy skills. You know, in this situation, I could do this to stick up for myself or to tell people what I need. Um, and they're very, very useful, again, used correctly. Yeah, I think my, I mean, I've had this conversation before, but my only experience of, I think, of social stories is um, when we did move from the UK to Canada and you helped us with Aaron, who is our youngest, who has Down syndrome, with um, visually helping him understand what the journey was going to be like because it was going to be long and complicated and quite stressful potentially yeah and yeah. it's those that i get a bit cross about <laughs> the you... ones that go wrong what does it look yeah. like if it's bad then <laughs> yeah well anybody who follows me on twitter always knows i'm twittering about this um because there's, a, there's always a conversation about social stories my first beef is that it's often written down in the document to say this is what the child you should do to help the child and then nobody mentions getting trained so a lot okay. of bad social stories are written by very well-intentioned people who are trying to help the child and have picked up the wrong idea about them and so they write something that actually harms a child um, and they harm them in the way that they're um, trying to get the child to do what you want or you think they should do without really understanding what they're all about. Now, I can't explain that all now because that's what the course is about. <laughs> but, <laughs> but one beef I have is the lack of training, which is why we've okay. got our workshop on. And then mm. that responds into, um, you know, bad social stories that don't really help. But the second one is um, if you're not really careful and use the right wording, what they do is actually make the child a lot more vulnerable to being exploited and, and um, being taken advantage of by other people or leaving them just really confused about a situation. And the worst ones make the child feel really bad about themselves. So, you know, it really pays off to learn how to write them properly. So is it, is it, because that sounds like a really important thing for us to mm. do all we can to get right. Um, yeah. is, is it hard to learn? Not really. There's just some rules to follow. Like everything, okay. that, and you start with understanding where the child's coming from. Hey, who'd have known? Um, and and just building up from that, the child's perspective. Um, but then there is like the certain sentences and words you can use, and that's kind of once you have all that structure, and you can actually work within that framework. Like giving the child a writing frame, it just makes it a lot easier, and you're more yeah. likely to have a successful outcome then. Okay, so give us start with social stories. Then give us. Just a handful of your top tips to get us just get something okay. that we can actually learn really quickly. Well, that's it. A lot of people find social stories online. 
And so, it, and I'd say, honestly, 80% of them are not good. Okay. <laughs> so how do wow. you recognize a, a good one? Well, they should always be positive and affirmative. That's my top tip. Um, it should celebrate the child and give them something to learn and to build their confidence. So that's top tip number one. If it doesn't do that, don't touch it, really. Um, wow. Number two is to make it personal. So anything that you find online or indeed in my book, <laughs> because I've got a whole load of templates in this book. And when I got the publishers to put it together, I made sure that they put a CD in with Word documents so that every single story could be um, personalized to each child. Um, so it, you can use their interests, you can use pictures and, and photographs and even cartoons or their own drawings that's personal to them. So that's number two. Great. Uh, number three is to avoid negative sentences about the child at all costs. Um, and so that what's is an example again, of that then. What so is for that? example, you know, um, I get angry when um, somebody takes my toys. You know, that's kind of really blaming the child. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, what we a story about that would perhaps explain to a child, depending on their age and, and cognition ability, might be explaining says that um, toys in a in a school or a nursery belong to everybody, and we all have a bit of time with them, and other people okay. might like a bit of time with them as well. You know, that's an explanation of the social world of toys rather than saying you must give that toy to another child when they ask for it. Right. Okay. Which is compliance, isn't it? Yeah. Would you say I'm, I'm thinking about some stuff that's happened with us with I'm thinking with with Aaron and with the, some of the training we had around Down syndrome. And is that similar or is it different? Just to make sure I'm understanding it right mm -hmm. from a the point of view of. So instead of focusing on what we didn't want him to do, because that just lands in his head, the, that thing, <laughs> rather we say we flip it so it's positive. So um, don't say don't fall down the stairs, Aaron. Yeah. Be careful or hold the handrail or whatever is more positive. Is it similar to that? It goes one step further. So okay. it actually explains the why. Okay. So I did. I mean, I realise this is a podcast, and people. And I'm talking about my book. It's actually called Stories That Explain. Okay. Well, that's because that's what social stories do. They explain the why to a child. So the, as you said, being positive and telling a child what you do want or what's best for them, or what's a good idea in a situation is fine. But it's the why that builds okay. up their social understanding. Wow. Okay, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Guys, we're going to go into more detail on this um, in the workshops, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I think switch from social stories to sensory diets then for us, Lynn. What, what are your tips from that point of view? Yeah, well, every autistic child that I know has really, has really benefited from a sensory diet from the time I worked in a, a specialist school to now I'm working with mainstream children. And, and that is just a time in the day or regular times in the day where they can just kind of center themselves. Um, it's like, you know, your, your senses are all scattered and you're just bringing them back together to a calmer place, which gives you more tolerance for other things like social communication demands and, you know, work demands, teachers telling you what to do, things like that, parents telling you what to do. Um, but the sensory diet is really centered on, again, what the child's sensory profile is. 
Now again, in the course that we're going to do, the workshop, we're going to tell people how to find that out because it's not enough time in a podcast to do that. But my top tips are, so number one is getting to know those sensory needs individually. Um, and you can observe the child, you can ask them. And if you're really lucky, you might get an assessment. Um, usually that's done by an occupational therapist who is sensory trained and always ask, you know, what their training is. Um, we have an occupational therapist who is sensory trained working with us. She's fantastic. Gives us a lot of really good information to work with for the children that we support. So number two is to make sure you schedule those sensory activities regularly throughout the day um, so that the child or young person knows when they're happening. That's really important. Um, but also, so that's like your main meals in a diet. That's why it's called a diet. You know, you know, okay. when you dinner yep. and your tea is, or sorry, lunch and dinner are going to happen. <laughs> I'm northern, so we have dinner and tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know when those things are happening so you know you can kind of sometimes keep yourself going till the next meal can't you um, yeah but sometimes you just really need a snack for me it's about two o'clock in the afternoon and um, <laughs> you need a bit of a pick-me-up because you feel lethargic or out of energy so it's, that's why we call it a diet because you have those regular meals that are scheduled in and then you've got the opportunities for snacks and that's kind of looks like it might be a fiddle box or a type of an area you can go and have a bounce on a trampoline or something. Um, so those are all wow. available to the child to help them with their, um, you know, regulation really of their sensory needs. So that's number two. Uh, and okay. number three is don't stop doing it. Um, if it's doing going well, um, don't stop offering it to them because that's a sign that it's working. And this is what we find some trips people up sometimes. Oh, they don't need that anymore. And then they're wondering why the child's getting dysregulated. You know, keep it going. It might change. It might develop. But don't give up on it because it's a lifelong skill that they're learning. Really, to Okay. Do. So it's a kind of a permanent yeah. support that. But it might yeah. be we would want yeah. that that child or young person to take hold of that skill themselves at yeah. some point. I know you've yeah. said about Aaron before, you know, I mean, Down syndrome children will really benefit from a sensory diet in my experience, yeah. you know, yeah. that needing to move, um, needing to do things that help him regulate as well. So it, it, it covers a wide lot of children with any kind of sensory processing need. I think, do you know, I, th I think I'm a, I'm a soci sociable person the vast majority of the time, but I need my space to recharge. And I, mm -hmm. and Sam, who's 17, who's autistic, our, our son, he will, and, and he's developing, he's at the point where he's developing an understanding of those skills himself and mm -hmm. doing really well at starting to, in, you know, implement those skills himself. So he's been helping um, at a theatre camp for two weeks, um, actually just this week. So every day this week, and he just very much needs to decompress at the end of every day. And then Aaron yesterday was at, had a whale of a time at a friend's house jumping up and down the trampoline in the sprinklers. So I had an amazing time, didn't want to leave, but really needed to just, just crash when he got home. You know, it would be, we've got to be deliberate in our, um, our actions at the steps that we take and the support we give them, both of them for, you know, if we then expected them to go and do something else, that's an unreasonable expectation, isn't it? And I guess, yeah. I guess what I'm saying from, from my point of view, that's, I need that, 
Lynn, how much more does somebody who's autistic or somebody who has those kind of additional sensory struggles or needs need that kind of support? I would, to be honest, when we work with young people, it's the first thing we go to because if we can okay. get the sensory um, the situation right for them, and it might be environmental things, it might be we give them a quiet area to, to go to, to or um, take some things off the wall or, or um, give them a nice cushion to work on that they can bounce a bit on you know but it it kind of just then allows the window of tolerance as we call it for other things to widen and if they're sensory if they're on um high alert because they're nervous about oh somebody could make a noise you know that's going to upset me then it, it kind of reduces all their ability to attend to other things and, and in a school and at home and this I like sensory diets because the connection you can give between home and school, you know, if you communicate together and say what works together, you can have that flow that goes through. So you don't get a child who's having that Coke bottle effect. You know, we talk about this a mm. lot, don't we, where they're shook up all day in school because there's no outlet for it, but they keep the lid on because they're too ashamed to lose it at school. And then they yeah. go home and whoosh. And a sensory diet is like easing the pressure off that lid going ksh, 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 throughout the day. So it's not all, you know, in a big fizz by the time they go home. That's really powerful, Lynn. Thank you so much. And those are things that we can we can do straight away, aren't they? We'll be looking at these tips and lots more in two workshops that are coming up in October. So if you're ready to go deeper, do head over to theabilitybridge.com, which is our website, and click on workshops to find out more. We're going to be going into lots of detail on these. Um, we've put them quite close together because we're kickstarting the new year and tied it together with launching the podcast as well. You know, our passion is to see the lives of children and young people with additional needs and disabilities changed by making really good resources and training available to them and those who support them. So to access all the workshops and all the courses and all the resources as an individual or as an organization, as a school, you should also check out the memberships page on our website, again, at theabilitybridge.com. Um, Lynn, anything else that you want to add before we really wrap things up here? Now, I think we're at a good time of the year to start this off, aren't we? If you get to know about these things, even in, in that first term in October, you've got a chance then to get things right at the beginning of the year for your child, um, and which will help smooth out how you work together through the rest of the year. And so that's why we're, we're starting with these. That's great. Thank you so much, Lynn. Join us for the next episode of the Ability Bridge podcast, where we're going to be looking in more depth at social stories and hearing stories about the impact they can have from Lynn. That's going to set us up really well for the workshops that are happening in October as well. It's a huge area. There's so much to cover, so make sure you join us and uh, check out that as well. That's all for the Ability Bridge podcast this month. Thank you to my friend and my co-host, Lynn. Lynn, thanks for all you do. And don't forget to check out the website yeah. at the Ability Bridge for free courses, memberships, workshops, lots more, and find us on social media across the board. Everything you'll find there is created to help the, you support the children and young people in your lives with diverse needs because everyone wins when the relationships around the child are thriving.